and you got cool stuff for it. Uh, so there you go. And then the last thing that I wanted to say was, oh, New Year's Day. Yeah, no services in here either. We're trying it out this year because um, it's a Sunday also. So that means two Sundays in a row we won't have services, but we'll have it Saturday night. And let's face it, how many of you would really be here on New Year's Day? Exactly. So that's why we're not showing up. Took the straw poll and one person, Kevin Workman, said he would be here. So, Kevin, I'll leave the keys for you. Um, there you go. Uh, and uh, so, oh, the, the second song we sang today, uh, Shema. Now, Shema, when Jesus was uh, asked what the greatest commandment is, he recited the Shema. The Shema is something that if you go to the sanctuary, they say it every Sunday. Um, they say it in Hebrew, part of it in Hebrew. Um, Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Achad. Um, and, uh, and then they say the rest of it uh, in English. And um, the reason they do that is because it was something that was central to the faith life of a Jew. Um, a, a Jew would have said it in the morning. In the evening, they would have taught their children it. As uh, the scripture says, it's like write it on your hands, put it in a little box on your forehead. And there are Orthodox Jewish sects that do this. Um, uh, And also there was a practice of putting this thing called a mezuzah um, on your doorpost. Uh, It's a little box that you like hung slantedly on your doorpost. Inside that little box is a scroll on which is written the Shema so that you know every time you enter and leave, you can remind yourself um, that here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, depending on which gospel you take it from. Um, that is the Shema. You sang um, the song Shema today. Uh, that is one of uh, our very own Daryl Lord Smith's uh, original songs. Yes, that is his real middle name. Um, it, he likes to lord it over us. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so so Daryl is coming out. The reason I bring this to your attention, because we've talked about, I think, that song in the past. He taught it to us. Uh, is His new CD is finished. Um, it is called Strangers, Widows, and Orphans. Yeah! No, wait. It is called Strangers, Orphans, and Widows. Um, I got it wrong last service, too. You'd think I'd you know, be a better PR agent, even though he didn't ask me to do this. Uh, so it is. it has come out. You can, you, it is available on iTunes at the end of the week. Um, and you can download um, that one at the end of the week, as well as all of his other works, Ordinary Christmas, um, from Puddle to Pool, from Pool, Puddle to Pool, whatever I want to call it. I'm just going to start making up different names for his CDs. Um, there's a, a New Heights Worship one in which um, a lot of our, the team you see uh, up here uh, was involved. Um, Hosanna, that song we sing um, most every uh, Easter, uh, it was uh, Daryl's song, and it's a great, awesome Song um, that is on that CD. So I just want to bring that to your attention because it has been a labor of love. And uh, you will note on the cover, if you look very closely inside the cover artwork, you will see a silhouette of someone. Me. That's right. That's right. Some people got a little closer. They just wanted my silhouette back in the back. Um, so there's that. Okay, here we go. Now I will see a, sing a song for the one I love about his vineyard. My beloved has a vineyard on a rich and fertile hill. He plowed the land, cleared its stones, and planted it with choice vines. In the middle, he built a watchtower and carved a wine press in the nearby rocks. Then he waited for a harvest of sweet grapes. But the grapes that grew were wild and sour. Now you people of Jerusalem and Judah, you have heard the case. You be the judges. 
What more could I have done to cultivate a rich harvest? Why did my vineyard give me wild grapes when I expected sweet ones? Now, this is what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will tear down its fences and let it be destroyed. I will break down its walls and let the animals trample it. I will make it a wild place. I will not prune the vines or hoe the ground. I will let it be overgrown with briars and thorns. I will command the clouds to drop no rain on it. This is the story of the Lord's people. They are the vineyard of the Lord Almighty. Israel and Judah are his pleasant garden. He expected them to yield a crop of justice, but instead he found bloodshed. He expected to find righteousness, but instead he heard cries of oppression. This is the song about the Lord's vineyard from the book of Isaiah. It is a, it would have been a well-known piece of scripture, especially if you were a Pharisee or a Sadducee, you would have known this song of the prophet Isaiah. You would have known the correlation between the vineyard and the people Israel. You would have known that you as a leader of the church were charged with taking care of God's vineyard. And you would have known the biting criticism that comes at the end of this. I expected you to take care of it, but you didn't. I expected beauty and all I got was oppression. See, the Jews had for, for a long time said, we're the oppressed people, we're the oppressed people, we're the oppressed people. Let us get out of oppression. But in truth, they were oppressing themselves in many ways. The Jewish leaders were bringing much oppression to the Jewish people. Sure, the Romans were out oppressing them, but at the same time, they were oppressing themselves. In Matthew 21, we have Jesus in the temple and he's teaching. If you remember, there's a lot of people surrounding him. And the Pharisees come up and they challenge him. And he tells them a story last week, if you remember, of the good son and the bad son. The one, um, the, the son that God says, hey, go out and work in the field. And the son goes, not, nah, not going to do it. But then he thinks about it and he later does. And then the son where the, where God says, hey, go work in the field. He says, of course I will, but he never does. And Jesus points this to the Pharisees saying, you're the one who says you will, but you don't. You're the one who promises that you will serve me and you look like you serve me, but you don't. Last week, we kind of talked about the fruit. And I think I brought up James. Show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you a dead faith. And so Jesus continues on this very same line. Matthew 21, um, 33 is where I am. Now listen to the story. A certain landowner planted a vineyard, built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice and built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed his servant, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. So the landowner sent a larger group of his servants to collect for him. But the results were the same. Finally, the owner sent his son, thinking, surely they will respect my son. But when the farmers saw his son coming, they said to one another, here comes the heir to this estate. Come on, let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him, took him out of the vineyard, and murdered him. 
When the owner of the vineyard returns, Jesus asked, what do you think he will do to those farmers? The religious leaders replied, he will put the wicked men to a horrible death and will lease the vineyard to others who will give him his share of the crop after each harvest. Then Jesus asks, didn't you ever read the scriptures? The stone rejected by the builders has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous to see. What I mean is that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce the proper fruit. Anyone who stumbles over the stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the leading priests and Pharisees heard Jesus, they realized he was pointing at them. But they were the farmers in his story. They wanted to arrest him, but they were afraid to try because the crowds considered him to be a prophet. Now, when he begins to tell the story of the farmer who leased his land to laborers, of the owner who leased his land to laborers, they heard the song. He builds a vineyard. He puts a wall, a watchtower, a wine press. He makes it ready for them. And then he leases it. Now, this time in Palestine, this would have been a very common practice. It was very common for landowners to come in to build up their vineyard and then to lease it to someone else and go away. The only time they would show up or would send somebody was the time to collect rent around harvest time. It would have been, it would have been um, rent by money, uh, or it could have been a portion of the crops, or it could have been a combination of of the two. But every year, the way that this worked was you farm someone else's land. In return, you paid them a portion of it. My dad was born in 1935 um, during the Great Depression in um, Texas, North Texas. Uh, and his uncles, he was the youngest of five by 14 years, his next sibling. Um, we have a run of surprises um, in my family. My father was a surprise. I was a surprise. Corbin was a surprise. I like to think that surprises are wonderful gifts from God. But um, so so here he is. He's much younger than everyone else. So a lot of his siblings had already married. So uh, they were uh, Uncle Marvin uh, was one of uh, his brothers in law uh, was a sharecropper. And as I drove, dad and I have driven around some of the places up by Joshua, uh, Texas. If anybody is familiar with Joshua, it's not Joshua, by the way, it is Joshua. And it's not Rio Vista, it's Rio Vista. Um, so up there, we drive around in these back road places, and he used to show me, this is where I crossed the creek to get to school. And I'm like, really, Dad? Um, this is where the school was. You're just picking a field now. You're just, you know. Um, but uh, all these different stories that dads tell their sons, uh, and especially that generation. But he would tell me stories of the sharecropping practices that Uncle Marvin had to go through and how horrendous of a life it was for for he and my aunt Pete. That's right. Um, that's a whole nother story. She was an awesome woman. Um, but, uh, aunt Pete, she was like this tall. Uh, so yeah. So it would tell me the stories of, the, of their life and the way that they were treated by this man who owned the land coming out of the thirties into the forties. Um, and it just astounded me. Uh, some of the stories that he would tell me because eventually my dad started working on those fields and then he started working in dairies and stuff. And, um, and seeing all of this play out. And I was really kind of thinking about this because essentially this is what they are. They're sharecroppers. They're, 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 they're farming land that doesn't belong to them. Given land to farm so that they can earn a living. But then they have to pay the person who owns the field. This is the way it was set up. 
It's common practice then. So you have this landowner who's built this incredible vineyard. He gives it to people to farm so that he can go away and do his other stuff, but he wants rent. And what do they do? They abuse it. This, too, actually was kind of a common practice. The laborers, a lot of times, because of the economic situation in the country, would do similar things. So this story was very familiar to people when he tells it. Then he comes to this point where he says, what do you think is going to happen to these farmers? And the interesting thing is the judgment comes from whom? The Pharisees. It's not Jesus that says they are going to. It's they know. You, you act this way. This is what happens. You're given something and you do nothing with it. This is what happens. And so Jesus sets up this picture for us. Okay, it was Israel was the vineyard. God entrusted it to certain people. They abused that trust. They killed the prophets. They killed people. He sent his son. They kill him. It's one of those things that's clearly evident in this story. But then you take it a little further and you take it to us. We have been entrusted with a vineyard. We have been given something magnificently beautiful for free. All God asks is that we produce. We produce fruit. Now you can jump into John and you can see where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Unless you remain with me, you will produce no fruit. Apart from me, you'll be thrown into the fire, stuff like that. In order to produce fruit, we got to be with God. you got to be in relationship with Jesus. You have to be studying the Word. you got to be praying. you got to be worshiping. you got to be together as a community of believers, taking care of one another. The life that Jesus led, what does that look like now? How can we take what we've learned from Him and put it into place in 2011-12? That's what He asks us to do. He's given us this vineyard. What are we doing with it? There will be a time, it is clear, when the owner comes back. When the owner comes back, the cornerstone has been set. Those who are producing fruit, the vineyard, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is here. Those who are not, it says, will be crushed. So what do you do? Here's one thing that I've learned recently. It doesn't matter what I've done with the vineyard up to this point. It doesn't matter. It matters what I do from here forward. You see, um, as they were singing this song and it says, He keeps no record of my wrongs, of my sin, no record of my shames. Forgiveness. This is why the Son came. To give his life so that we might have ours, even when we were lost in sin. He comes, gives his life so that we may have freedom. And so you take that and say, look, I've been given this vineyard and I have just trashed it. I've let weeds grow up. I'm producing nothing but bad fruit. I have gone through seasons in my life where it was horrible fruit coming out of my vineyard. But God said, that's all right. Let's get it together then. Let's start cultivating. Let's, let's produce something magnificent. 
Last night I did a, a wedding way up north on 281. I say way up north, I live in the bubble, okay? It wasn't that far, but it was far for me. It was past 1604. I felt like I was in foreign country. Um, and it took me an hour to get there. Um, it was uh, Overlook Road. If you know where Overlook Road is off of 281, it took me an hour to get there last night at 5 o'clock. The wedding was scheduled for 5.30. I showed up at 5.51. Thank you for the gasp over there. That was awesome. Who did that? That was beautiful. And, and so I, I hate being late. I do not like to be late. It gets me just... Ah. And, and so the fact that I, I am late to a wedding in which cannot happen without me, that people are waiting for me to get there, was a little nerve-wracking. The fact that I had only an address of where I was going, no name of the people's home in which we would be having this wedding, so that I could not call information and say, hey, can you give me the number of this person's house? Don't know their name. I knew the couple, but it wasn't their home. Didn't have a phone number for anybody. All I had was an email. And so as I'm in traffic, 281, because apparently when it rains, you people up north lose the ability to drive. I don't know if any of you live up there, but you, 281 shuts down. It's like, it's wet. Everybody stop. And so I send an email to this guy and I'm like, hey, I hope you're checking your emails on the day of your wedding. <laughs> Ten minutes before go time because I'm late. So I, I get there and apparently I was just like two minutes right behind his son getting there. It's an older couple that was getting married. And, um, and so I'm like, okay, that's a little bit of pressure off of me, but I still was just unnerved. People are around, they're already drinking champagne. I'm like, Oh, great. It's going to be one of these weddings. You know, I'm going to get heckled from the crowd or something. I don't know. Um, and so I show up and I do this beautiful home and it's decorated so wonderfully for, for Christmas and a couple of Christmas trees throughout the house. And so I, I do the wedding in between, um, this big Christmas tree and a fireplace, roaring fireplace. I've never done a wedding next to a Christmas tree, um, and, uh, and so I, I wondered what Jesus thought of that for a moment, but then I moved on, uh, and I just started, I started the wedding ceremony, and I began to talk, and one of the scriptures they chose was from the book of Ephesians, and it talks about salvation and, and forgiveness and all this beautiful stuff and language, and, <clears throat> and that was my opening to say, sorry for being late, forgiveness, salvation, you know, <clears throat> it's a do-over time of year. Uh, right? Because we celebrate the birth of Christ. I'm standing next to this tree. It's clearly obvious it's Christmas. And so I begin to talk about the fact that we're celebrating the birth of a savior. We're celebrating the birth of this little boy who would become a man who would die so that we might live so that no matter what happened before, it's God's cosmic way of saying it's going to be okay. And that was the line I kind of picked up on because look, they had both been married before and it didn't go well. And now here's an opportunity for them to come forward, celebrating the birth of Christ and the relationship with him and to say it's going to be okay. And so I took that and I started thinking about the laborers and started knowing that I have been a bad farmer a lot. I, I have done a lot of things that God was going, really? But this time of year, it's that time of year when we get to celebrate the fact that God says, stepped into time and into humanity and said, it's going to be okay. I know you haven't taken care of my field in the past, but let's start now. Let's become fruitful now.
Let's become a part of the kingdom now. That's what he's looking for. So I I have to tell this other story, and and the people are in the room, and I'm not going to mention their name. And because they're in the room, I'm probably going to start crying, but y'all are used to that by now because it's been happening a lot lately. Um, (laughs) It's it's the gray in my beard. So Thursday night... um, I get a phone call from our, um, we always call her our helper. She's, uh, she helps out with Grace um, a lot, and she's a special ed, just graduated uh, major, and, um, and helps with Corbin as well. And I get a phone call from her, and she's in this horrendous sob, the sob that you just can't control. And she says, Michael, I'm so sorry. And she's in the car with our kids. She has left our house with both of our children. And, of course, my heart stops. And I, I'm like, Stephen, is her name Stephen? It's a completely different story. Um, Stephen is, are, are you okay? Is everybody okay? She said, yes, we were in a wreck. I've later told her, this call needs to start with, everyone is okay. <laughs> Not the, I'm so sorry. Because, <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. So Jenna, hearing my side of the conversation, appears, and her face is white. And I said, we will be right there. So they're right down New Braunfels at Morningside and New Braunfels. What I have learned is the worst intersection in our town. Um, Those of you that live over there in the TH know of what I speak. And so we show up, and there's lights everywhere. It's dark. It's like 5, 36 o'clock, pitch black, lights everywhere. Um, There were, I think... I might be embellishing because my son was so fired up about it, like a fire truck and two ambulances. And I think four police cars, all with their lights going. And a helicopter kind of coming back and forth over us. Uh, That may have just been a coincidence, but um, maybe not. Three cars involved in this crash. Our nanny's car is is smashed up in the front. Um, Airbags deployed on one side. And uh, we, we get out. We run across the, the street to where they are, and Gracie's just crying hysterically. Corbin is jumping up and down. Or no, actually, at this point, he wasn't jumping up and down. Um, uh, but Corbin is clearly fired up that there were policemen and fire trucks everywhere. He's like, oh, this, is, this is a cool, we should do this again. Um, and so it, we, we come onto this scene, and it's just, you don't know, you know? Everyone's okay, but... Okay, what's, what's happening? And we walk up and Stephen is still just, just, you know, think about it. You have someone else's children in your car and you're in this wreck and you're young. And you just, that day she, um, like, went through, we went with her to a graduation ceremony at UTSA. Um, the cop said, this is a heck of a way to end your graduation day. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Uh, so we walk up and there's this couple standing there. Um, and and I, I see she has Corbin um, in her hands, which, by the way, if you've seen him, not an easy feat. Um, he's, he's really heavy. Um, and then um, her husband is standing behind her, and he's got a Red Sox uh, shirt on. I'm like, everything's going to be okay. Um, and I walk up, and he says, hi, Pastor. And I'm in a state of mind where I recognize you, but I have no clue who you are. And, and so I, I, I'm like, hi. <laughs> and, and everything plays out and pans out. And, and, and so here's what happened. They live a couple of houses away. They hear the wreck. They immediately run down. He's outside uh, doing his Griswold thing, as he said to me. 
um, and she was inside, but they immediately come down and immediately start to take care of people in a loving way. Now, he's a paramedic by trade, but that's irrelevant in my eyes. He comes in and, and they begin to take care of Sevenin, who they have no idea who she is. And our kids, who they also didn't know who they were until we showed up. They'd been given a vineyard by God. And because they believe in God, because they have something bigger in their life than just themselves, they were producing fruit in our community. I got to tell you, it just, I've thought about it in the days since. And, And one, I've thought about how scary that phone call was. In that moment, in that what if, and then I cast that aside and I go to this family and I think how beautiful and wonderful the representation of Christ was at that time. It was as if they were there to say everything is going to be okay. And I began to think, what if we all began to operate that way? What if we all in the wrecks of life show up in our vineyard and say everything's going to be okay? It may be pain. There may be pain. There may be hurt. There may be whatever, but everything's going to be okay. How do I know this? That's how I know. And so we each have this vineyard. And so what I take from this story of the laborers is I am a laborer in the vineyard that God has given me. Now, he's given me gifts and talents and abilities, and he's given me a community that I live in. And so the way I see it is I need to take the things he's given me, the fruits that he's planted in me, these gifts, these talents, these abilities, and use them in the community in which I live to bring the kingdom of God here and now. Even if it's just for 45 minutes on a Thursday night. But it brings peace and love over an entire family in crisis. We are the laborers in his vineyard. We have an opportunity to be there. Wherever it is to be there. For him, in his glory, in his love, in his peace. Let us be there. By the way, because I didn't say this, and I know some of you may be wondering, everyone was okay in my family. Um, Stephen was a little sore, but um, Corbin was um, fighting through the pain, I guess, to see. He was jumping up and down at one point, and Gracie, um, she kind of walks funny now, but other than that, she was just fine. Um, just kidding. She always walks funny. Y'all should know this. <laughs> I did tell Stephen. I said, you should have told the, the, the paramedic. She's walking weird. She was walking fine just a few moments ago. Um, if you don't laugh, you cry. And y'all know that I can cry when I talk about my daughter. So get over it. So be there. Let us pray. <laughs> Gracious and Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the gift of life that you give us through your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for those moments when we have failed to be the laborers you desire. When we have not taken care of the vineyard that you have prepared for us. Forgive us, Lord. 
God, help us to take um, the gifts, the talents, the abilities, the graces that you have given us and to move in to the vineyards where you've placed us, the community that you have placed us and help us to be the arms, the hands, the feet, the love of Jesus Christ. Help us to be in our community sharing your grace and love. God, we thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.